This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. Not too long ago, the New York Times profiled Abraham Piper, the son of the famous pastor, Dr. John Piper. Now, why call attention to the son? Well, because Abraham has become a TikTok star as a very popular and very vocal ex-evangelical, which is just a hipper word these days for apostate. But this ex-evangelical trend isn't just limited to the children of famous Christian leaders. John Steingard, the former lead singer of the Christian band Hawk Nelson, who recently announced that he doesn't believe in God anymore, explained on Twitter why so many like him are leaving evangelicalism and embracing the idea of deconstruction. Here's what he wrote in part. We're finding that the evangelical perspective isn't working for us. The treatment of the Bible is infallible and unquestionable. The treatment of the LGBTQ plus community, the perceived lack of will to address racial justice, the absolute bungling of the topic of sexuality, the adherence to doctrines of original original sin and eternal conscious torment. These topics and more are areas in which many of us found ourselves completely dissatisfied with the evangelical church's position or approach. Many are beginning to embrace a new radical, perhaps heretical idea that humanity and divinity is a beautiful mystery to be explored with openness, wonder, and a dedication to non-harm, to embracing goodness wherever it is found, not necessarily limited to Christianity. If the evangelical church remains determined to misunderstand, mischaracterize, and mistreat the loose community of people who deconstruct, then evangelicalism will gradually be relegated to small corners of the faith world, never to hold much sway again. Close quote. So what is going on? Well, what we're seeing is a falling away increasingly fueled by this idea of deconstruction. It's a concept first popularized by 1960s philosopher Jacques Derrida, adapted for the theological world by postmodern theologian John Caputo, popularized by the emergent church, and now hitting evangelicalism with increasing force. Caputo defines deconstruction as a way of making or letting the truth happen, but postmodern theologian Mark C. Taylor put it differently. Deconstruction, he said, is the hermeneutic of the death of God. It's all a bit confusing, which is why we need to examine what's going on and why. And we're going to do that today with Christian author, evangelist, and apologist, Dr. Alex McFarland. And Alex, thank you so much for joining us again. It's wonderful to have you here. Well, thank you so much, Janet. It's always an honor to be on. And uh, let me just say before we um, begin to unpack this topic, how much I appreciate the work that you do for Christian scholarship. Um, I don't know if you've ever been compared to William F. Buckley. Some people will remember that name, but uh, Buckley uh, had a vast understanding of so many issues, and he could address and critique a topic with finesse, but yet decisively defending the conservative and Christian positions. And in a way, your show kind of reminds me of 
of Buckley and firing line from so long ago because you 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 are willing to talk through issues. You've got your own convictions that are steeped in Scripture as are mine. But I just want to say thank you in a world of you know sound bites and noise. You actually give the listeners meat that can give them insight and strength. And I applaud the way that you do what you do. Alex, right back at you. I am no William F. Buckley, but I really appreciate your kindness. And of course, I've learned so much from you. You are just a rock star, in my opinion, when it comes to defending the faith. And millions of people who've heard you or seen you on the conference stage know that or have read your books. You're just the best. So I want to ask you, you have done a lot of work, particularly with young people. And I know you have talked about many times the issue of young people leaving evangelical some of these voices that we've heard, the nuns and these kinds of things. What do you make of this ex-evangelical movement that especially seems to be gaining ground when people are talking about it on social media? What, what are your impressions of what's going on? Well, uh, great question. Uh, great question. Um, uh, you know, literally every day of the week, Janet, uh, our ministry fields questions from sometimes uh, like millennials and even more recently Gen Z people with questions, um, and oftentimes parents that are very concerned, you know, we, we don't understand. We raised our child in church, went to youth group, maybe even Christian school, K-12, through and now my 20-something is an atheist, or, or you know, fill in the blank. Some sort of deconstruction of Christianity, some sort of reinventing of some aberrant non-biblical faith system. And uh, what's, what's this all about? Well, Several things in in no particular order, but uh, Janet, I, I think the people that once affirmed Jesus but now renounce Him, I don't think they were ever converted in the first place. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I would question whether or not they had a born again experience with Jesus. And you used the the apt word a, a minute ago, the word apostasy. Yeah. And in the Greek, the word apostasy really is a word analogous to a riot. Hmm. mayhem, hmm. chaos. And and I do think that we are living in a time of, within the evangelical world, much theological apostasy, because rather than acknowledging and heeding the clear words of Scripture, uh, people sort of make up whatever they want their truth to be. Um, the other thing I would say, you know, kids that were raised in Christian homes, but now repudiate Christianity. Number one, they probably weren't born again in the first place. Number two, we're in this milieu of hyper, hyper relativism, where we all make up truth for ourselves uh, to suit us. But the third thing that I would say, and this is, this is pandemic, this is the true pandemic, is the church in the Western world, certainly in so much of America, does not acknowledge nor live by the clear Word of God. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Jesus asked a rhetorical question in Luke 6, 46. Now, a rhetorical question is the one in which the answer is very obvious. Christ asked this question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? That's right. And I think the answer, Janet, is that for so much of the American Church, um, Jesus is not the Lord, because if He were... Uh, what John thirteen thirteen Jesus said, "You call me Lord, and so I am." Well, if He were really our Lord, if we knew the Son of God, we would follow the Word of God. 
That's right. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Great point. And, you know, somebody else who comes to mind, a lot of people will think of Josh Harris. Josh Harris was the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which sold umpteen copies and then he repudiated it. And he was announced. Yes, I've interviewed him as well. And he left the faith and he left his marriage. But I want to read a quote from Josh Harris, because I think this says a lot at the time that he you know, and made this announcement. He said, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian. I am not a Christian to the LGBTQ plus community. I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books. And as a pastor regarding sexuality, I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you in your place in the church. And that broke a lot of hearts, Alex, because a lot of people were helped by that book. He was concerned about those who were not. But either way, to see someone go from being a pastor and a best-selling author and a Christian that a lot of people admired to suddenly saying, nah, I'm going through deconstruction. You guys, see ya. I'm out of here. It's terrible. Well, it really is, especially like with Josh Harris. I remember nearly 20 years ago, uh, I helped get him on Dobson's radio show and I was working for Focus on the Family and I interviewed him. You know, whether it's, you know, um, Jonathan Steingard or a Josh Harris or even a Beth Moore yep. who now her you know cottage industry is bashing the Southern Baptist yep. Church right. or Max Licato. Max Licato had been invited to speak at the National Cathedral. Um, I, I've been there. Um, it's a ecumenical slash secular religious edifice in our nation's capital, but when he was invited to speak at the National Cathedral, they found an old sermon on YouTube and gasped. Max Licato, years and years and years ago, had said that marriage is between a man and a woman. And so he uh, really backpedaled and really apologized for the position of Scripture. Now, I'll tell you what, Alex, hang it there because we've got to take a short break. We'll do a little bit of a pause, but we'll come back with Alex McFarland here on Janet Meffer today. This Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. 
More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Deconstruction. That's what it's all about, you guys. We want to be ex-evangelicals. No, we don't. But there are a lot of people out there who are trumpeting their deconstruction process on social media and talking about it in books and so forth. And I thought it would be a good time to go through what this is and how it's affecting evangelicalism at the moment. And helping us with that task is Alex McFarland, a wonderful author and evangelist and also a cultural expert. Many other things on his bio. But Alex, we were talking a little bit about Josh Harris and some of these other modern evangelical figures, uh, Josh Harris in particular, who had talked about his process of deconstruction. But you're, you're making the very important point that there are others as well. And, and it seems to be maybe gathering speed a little bit. Yeah, and, and a lot of the Christian leaders that suddenly become woke and uh, really distance themselves from what the Bible says or completely you know, square off to reject the Bible. Isn't it funny, Janet, how this happens after they've made the millions, after they've gotten the big book deals, <laughs> after they've you know made the conference circuit, yep. they've made a name, they've got a co- comfortable living, and uh, <laughs> they, they've you know, uh, made their successes out of the wallets of evangelical Bible-believing Christians, and then they become, you know, too, too uh, ivory tower to live by the Bible. Um, let me just say this, Janet, I mean, and I want to talk about deconstructionism, because the word construction or deconstruction is an important philosophical term for us to unpack, but uh, the bottom line, we have a problem of not acknowledging the Word of God. And, and let me just say this, um, Janet, 30 years ago when I was in grad school, one of the big questions was, what about the fate of the unevangelized? Mm-hmm. You know, what about, I, and I used to hear this question at universities, Janet, people would say, you know, um, let's imagine there's this savage in the jungles, yes. and he doesn't know about Jesus, and his only crime he was born on the wrong continent. Yes. And it dawned on me one day that to put more stock in the deservedness of a human being rather than in the righteousness and truth of God's revelation is really a kind of idolatry. Yes, it is. Now let's yep. bring that to 2021. Um, and I talked to a, a parent this morning who their son, after being raised in church, now in his late 20s, after having gone to a state university, now rejects Christianity. And this mom said to me that her son goes, look, I know gay people. I know trans people. They are good people. And do you mean to tell me that uh, God is going to consign them to hell, and their only crime is they 
didn't dress like you wanted them to dress or whatever. <laughs> well, there are so many logical fallacies in a statement like that. Yes. I mean, yeah. one barely knows where to jump on the train. But paraphrasing my answer to the people 30 years ago that want to um, condemn God because of the spiritual situation of the, quote, noble savage, mm-hmm. let me say this, to put more stock and more deservedness in uh, the person that is living in defiance to known moral truth and revealed scripture, to say, well, my nephew's gay, and gosh golly, if, if God condemns him, I don't want any part of God. That's really idolatry. It is. And it reminds me of James 2.10 also, Alex, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. I mean, you don't get, you know, it's not like a game show. You get a a couple of uh, lifelines if you've broken God's law, you know, yeah, okay, I'll just give you a pass on the first several tries. That's not how it works. And the only reason we know that is when we look, as you say, at the word of God, the holy word of God, which tells us what the truth is and corrects those feelings and those logical fallacies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me say to all of your, your listeners, um, and this is going to sound off topic and maybe a little unusual to throw into the mix at this moment, but I think it's relevant. Words have meaning. <laughs> well, you know, fancy that. Yeah. Words actually mean things. Yes. And the Word of God says some very specific things, and those words mean things. And the meaning of the words can be known. Now, any kind of a truth claim is what we call a proposition. And all propositions, by definition, they're either true or false. If we say, Jesus is the risen Son of God, okay, that's either true or false. Mm -hmm. But what it can't be is both true and false at the same time. Now, without getting too philosophical, Janet, Philosophical problems yield social problems, moral problems, and spiritual problems. Right. When you talk about deconstructionism and uh, uh, Derrida, uh, the philosophers that came along in the mid-20th century, like Sartre, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, John Paul Sartre's common-law wife of 30 years, Simone de Bouvier, she wrote a famous book that some um, was referenced a lot in the 70s called um, The the Second Sex. And it was a book that um, basically set forth uh, transgenderism. And she says, you know, one is not born a woman, one becomes a woman if one chooses to. And in the future, will, will there even be women? And so you've got to understand whether it's um, uh, Derrida or Sartre, or Simone de Bouvier, or Ellen DeGeneres and Rosie O'Donnell, whenever you dethrone God and ignore or reject his revelation, and also suppress moral knowledge written on everybody's heart, um, you, you set yourself up to be the lawgiver, the God, the judge. Yes, good point. And, you know, let me talk about Derrida a minute, because when we're talking about the history of this concept of deconstruction, 
one of the things that he was saying, because his approach was literary, he was seeking to understand the connection between a text and its meaning. And he mm-hmm. believed that language is unstable. It's really complicated. You can never really figure it out. But here's what I think is actually a, a very good uh, response to what you've just said. He believed that a piece of writing doesn't have just one meaning the meaning depends on the reader. Now, you can see, because Derrida's thought of deconstruction was then brought into the theological world by a postmodern philosopher named John Caputo. Now, what happens, the emergent church loves this guy, by the way. He wrote a book called What Would Jesus Deconstruct? And I'm slogging my way through that mess right now. But uh, (laughs) anyway, I know, it's like the things I do. But Caputo just made a theological application, application of deconstruction. But think about this for a minute, Alex. You can see how this idea would appeal to emergence when it comes to the Bible and also to ex-evangelicals. If it's the case that the Bible doesn't have just one meaning, it means whatever it means to me. You might as well not even open the Bible because now you've even rejected the idea, like you said, that words mean anything and you've rejected the ultimate authority of what you're reading when you open up the Bible. It's a mess and no wonder these people are falling away from the faith in droves if they're following this philosophy. Exactly. Um, None of us has the prerogative to declassify any sins. No, no, right. I I mean, uh, believe me, uh, there are a few that I would declassify were it in my power to do so. But but there's not, you know. Um, C.S. Lewis, on the doctrine of hell and divine retribution, you know, C.S. Lewis was once trying to write uh, reconciling the goodness of God with the reality of hell. And Lewis said, there is no doctrine I would more willingly remove from Scripture if it were in my power to do so, but it is not. Hell is in the Bible. Hell was uh, taught and affirmed by the risen Lord Jesus, and it has the support of the apostolic fathers in church history. And Lewis said, uh, you know, if God is a righteous God, he has to judge sin, and those that want no part of God and those that reject him, um, God does not force them into heaven against their will. Now, my, my point being, none of us have the, the right to cherry-pick and remove the parts of the Bible that go against our temptation or besetting sin. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, you know, that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. And none of us, um, whether it's substance abuse, anger issues, lust, lying, pride, you know, the, the cardinal sins, we, we simply don't have the right to deconstruct and then reconstruct the Word of God. And, and Janet, let me just, let me say this. God has given us His revelation in tough-as-nails uh, vernacular, because he loves us. Right, I mean, right. in, in warning us of hell and in offering us the, the door of salvation, God is not being a bad guy. In fact, God is loving us by saying, repent, yeah. Luke thirteen three, believe in Jesus alone, John eight twenty four. The scripture cannot be broken, John ten thirty five, And all these people like... You've named some names, um, and and I think of so many more that are the the emergents, the postmoderns, the woke church. 
they're not going to break Scripture. They're going to find that Scripture breaks them. Mm. And that's tragic. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a very important point. And one of the things I want to get into, Alex, I want to talk a little bit more about Caputo and his influence on the emergent church. But I want to get into what one postmodern deconstructionist laid out as the six pillars of religious deconstruction. And these are pillars, he says, that hold up Christianity that need to come down. Number one was the Bible. Number two was hell. But there are four others that he mentions, too. Very interesting. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. If you've heard the word deconstruction among these ex evangelicals, these people who are so vocal out on the internet about the fact that they left evangelicalism behind, or in some cases they say, no, evangelicalism left me behind because it just hates the LGBT community and it doesn't care about racial justice. They just go through all the typical woke categories and try to act as if their own, they are their own little gods. Alex McFarland is joining us, apologist, author, and conference speaker. Let me read to you, for example, here a tweet from the late Rachel Held Evans. People may know that name. She was a big progressive, um, died a few years ago. She was a big purveyor of deconstruction. She tweeted out in 2018, Alex, healthy deconstruction is like the demolition stage of a remodel necessary to rebuilding, but not the end game. Well, here's the here's the point that I need to make here. When I'm looking at this postmodern philosopher, John Caputo, who applied deconstructionism to theology, It is a mess. This guy doesn't believe in God. He's all into social justice. It's all the woke stuff. It's just recycling all the garbage from before. But one of the things he says, Alex, is God doesn't exist. He insists while God's existence is a human responsibility, which may or may not happen. This is not deep theology, Alex. This is nonsense. How in the world can you have an entity insisting if the entity doesn't exist? You know, and people give this guy credence as if he's some genius. And I'm looking at him like, you're a fool in the Bible, you know, the Bible sense of the term. You're an absolute fool. But these people look at this stuff and go, wow, that's really deep, man. Wow, I need to follow my own path and find my own truth. They're heading for a cliff at 100 miles an hour, Alex. And as a Christian, that concerns me because we're talking about souls deceived by the enemy of our souls who is laughing his head off at the fact that these people are buying into this this garbage, really. Janet, thank you. Thank you for being so bold to say that. You're right. Look, all of this philosophizing uh, and spinning, you know, impressive sounding uh, titles and words and thoughts and, oh my goodness, semantic uh, gymnastics. Yeah. Say God doesn't exist. God insists. 
All right. For one thing, let me just say to everybody listening, um, <laughs> none of this is new. I mean, really. Right. From the first century to the present day, Satan has had pawns that twisted Scripture, demeaned the gospel, uh, reinvented Jesus. It's been going on from the first 300 years of the church through the post-Reformation era in the 16 through 1800s. Now, after Darwin in the middle 19th century, there was, uh, let me say, uh, European pagans, uh, infidels, really, um, they upped the game in terms of blasphemy against God and his word, because they were very much emboldened by Darwin's theory that, um, you know, as one writer said, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. Hmm. But, Janet, I remember some 30 years ago, uh, Bishop John Spong, and you might remember that name. Yes, John Shelby Spong. Mm -hmm. John Shelby Spong. Mm -hmm. um, He wrote a book called Why Christianity Must Change or Die. Right. And so understand, folks, um, whether it's, um, you know, Spong 30 years ago or... um, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I'm glad I'm forgetting some of these names because, look, these people that deny Jesus, they come and go. They're forgotten. Uh, But this idea of deconstructing and saying there is no ultimate truth that's applicable to all people, and we all make our own truth. And, you know, here's here's the irony, folks. The deconstructionists, you can call it relativism, you can call it postmodernism, deconstructionism, notice two things. For one, they're, they're like a parasite that has to have a host. <laughs> they're not setting forth anything new. True. But they're, they're, they're taking a sledgehammer to the gospel and then out of the pieces setting forth their own philosophy. They deconstruct truth and then reconstruct their golden calf, <laughs> the philosophy that they, that they craft. Now, um, Tony... Oh, golly, I can't think of the guy's name. Campolo? But he, yeah, Tony Campolo, mm-hmm. thank you. He, he had one of these books that Christianity Must Change or Die mm-hmm. uh, about 20 years ago. And, and, you know, like the most recent publisher's crop of releases, now there are more people that, uh, under the guise of their penetrating intellect and insight, they want to say, you know, you talked about the, pel- the pillars of deconstructionism. Um, they deny the Bible. They deny hell. Mm-hmm. They deny that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. They deny that there is an answer to the problem of pain. You know, it's so funny. The uh, injustices in the world, uh, to what do we blame injustices and suffering? Yeah. Well, it's it's always, quote, unquote, the church yes. and conservative Judeo-Christian morality. Fundamentalists. We, That's what they call we, everybody who, who believes the Bible. You're a fundamentalist, a pejorative, if there ever was one. We are the villains, aren't we? Oh, always. And, you know, here, here, let's talk about these, these six pillars of religious deconstruction. According to this former pastor, Keith Giles, who's all into deconstructionism, he says they are the Bible. These are the things that hold up Christianity that he says need to come down. The Bible, hell, penal substitutionary atonement, and that is, you know, what Jesus did on the cross, as you mentioned, suffering in the world. So basically attacking God's sovereignty, the end times and the final one, as you said, Alex, 
the church. So this is what they want to destroy. And in its place, what do they become? Well, they don't know. It's just a process, man. I mean, what kind of life is that to live where you're just constant? You can never come to the truth, always searching, but never able to come to the truth. Does that ring a bell with people from Scripture? You know, it's exactly as the Bible describes, and your heart breaks for these people because they're so deceived. And interestingly enough, Alex, they say, uh, another person who writes about this says, people who deconstruct their faith usually do not do so for logical reasons. Yeah, we noticed. It's not that they possess superior intellectual skills that lead to places the theologians of the past simply could not go. No, people are hurting in churches. The church's complicity in authoritarian abuse, misogyny, racism, and economic exploitation of the non-Western world, to name a few issues, can no longer be ignored. This is from Josh DeKaiser. Here's the thing, Alex, they've got issues and they need a scapegoat. Couldn't it be, Alex, that some of the hurt, the abuse, which has been horrible in some of these churches, has it ever dawned on these people that we have a problem with non-Christians, unconverted people in the church? And maybe a lot of these people who have done these horrible things weren't actually Christians. But that that's never a possibility for them. It's just, no, I'm going to blame Christianity. You know, it's funny. um, And to reference one's self is um, not an entirely conclusive means of underscoring a point. So I realize what I'm about to say, skeptics would dismiss as being anecdotal. But allow me for a, just a moment to be self-referential. Um, I became a believer when I was 21. I was a college student. And Janet, for the, the last 35 years... I've been in church pretty much Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and it's been my joy, and I give God the glory to speak in about 2,300 churches. My publicist asked me to count, and we stopped counting about two years ago, but I was talking to a 19-year-old college student today who passionately said the church has hurt them, quote-unquote, and um, I said, well, what about your peers, you know, millennials and younger? And she said, 75% of all my friends would never darken the door of a church because they've been hurt by the church. Well, here's my point. For 35 years, I've been in church three times a week. And I, and again, I, this, is, this is my personal experience. I realize this is anecdotal. For a lot of people, this is not going to carry one bit of weight. But I've been in church for 35 years, and I've never felt like I was, quote, unquote, hurt by the church. Isn't that interesting? I've been in a lot of churches, Janet. Well, well, Alex, this is a really important point. I want to get into this in a little bit. We're going to have to pause for another quick break. But I agree with you. There's something there that we need to talk about further when we come back. Alex McFarland joining me. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. Join millions of praying Americans who are united in prayer for our country. 
Connect from your mobile device or computer to the largest online prayer gathering ever. It's an incredible opportunity to experience the power of prayer as one nation under God. Be a part of this historic day, along with fellow Christians who are ready to make a difference by lifting up our nation in prayer. Free prayer resources are waiting for you right now. Join an online prayer room or create a private prayer room and invite family, friends, and neighbors to join you for the National Day of Prayer. Just go to pray.team. That's pray.team. There's absolutely no cost to participate. This is your call to prayer, and now's the time to answer the call. Our country needs your prayers more than ever. So join the largest online prayer gathering in history at the National Day of Prayer. We'll see you online at pray.team. That's pray.team. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back talking about deconstruction in the church, the evangelical movement that seems to be growing or at least getting more vocal. And what is really going on? I had mentioned before the work of philosopher Jacques Derrida and then also John Caputo, an American philosopher who has carried this into the theological world. One of the things that he has said is weak theology, which is a movement he founded, weak, the weak theology movement. What, what, what a moniker, huh, Alex? Weak theology rejects the idea that God is an overwhelming physical or metaphysical force. So there's no God. Instead, God is an unconditional claim without any force whatsoever. And as a claim without force, the God of weak theology does not intervene in nature. So as a result, weak theology emphasizes the responsibility of humans to act in this world here and now. Now, this is what is driving some of the mentality of the postmodernists who are deconstructing. And you had mentioned talking to some uh, student who had said, you know, a lot of my friends don't want to go to church because they've been hurt by the church. You pointed out you've been in the church for 35 years and you haven't been hurt by the church. So I, I don't know, Alex, maybe you're just not hanging right the wrong around the right people who would hurt you or something. I don't know. Well, well I know I need to uh, put myself out there a little more and maybe I can get hurt by the church. I would love, seriously, yeah. I would love to figure out what it's like. Yeah. So I've asked students, many students, and they might say, well, the church has hurt me or the church has hurt so many people. And I'll say, okay, mate, give me a specific example. And they're like, well, the way the church treats women. Yeah. I'm like, really? Well, you know, in the first century, a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. Mm-hmm. And yet, who, who finds Jesus first? Risen women. Um, because of the, the biblical view that all humans are made in the image of God and have equal worth, value, and dignity, personhood, really, the, the state, the treatment of women 
was elevated by the Bible. And so uh, they'll say, well, how the church hates gays. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, give me an example. Yeah. For instance, you know, First Baptist Church of Little Rock, Arkansas said, you know, they didn't. I'm just saying, give me an example of a church that's been on record saying, you know, lest there be any mistake or ambiguity, quote, we hate gays. Janet, I have been in the right-wing, conservative, conservative, the Bible Belt South, 2,300 churches throughout 50 states. I mean, think about that. I was talking to my friend Josh McDowell. I love Josh, and he's a great leader. And, you know, ministry is not a competition, but um, I really, I don't know many people that have been in as many churches as myself or Josh of all denominations, including Catholic. I've done worldview seminars in Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, non-denominational. I've been there. I've never, and I would say this with my hand on a stack of Bibles, I have never heard a clergy or parishioner use the N-word. Nope. I've never... And I mean, I've stayed in the homes of the most conservative, deep South Bible Belt people and the, uh, the not quite as conservative people in the upper Northwest and upper uh, Northeast. Um, I, I honestly think the millennials and younger that love to say, I don't do church because they've hurt so many people, I really think to a large degree they're parroting just a party line they've heard. It's so convenient. Sure. Because to be dismissive of the church is to be dismissive of the Lord who bought the church, and it really absolves one of any accountability or responsibility. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. What that does, it's a way of putting moral responsibility on someone else but themselves, besides themselves. And, you know, I can say as a woman, I've been in the church all my life and I've never been hurt as a woman. It's not misogyny to say that women can't be pastors. That's what the Bible says. And that's not a personal hurt. This application to oneself of, I'm hurt. I need a safe space. I don't like your theology are the same people who will take the woke club and beat someone to death as a racist with no evidence. So I get a little yeah. weary of that kind of approach. Well, and, and let me say this, too. Um, and, and, and by the way, I love people. I do. And Augustine tells us love is to seek the highest good of another. Uh, but people are much more emotive than cognitive. Oh, yes. People, yes. They feel way much more than they think. Yes. Okay. Uh, some months back, a trainload of heartbreaking things came out about Ravi Zacharias. Right. And and I had many phone calls. I had phone calls from people who, uh, in fact, one attorney asked me, he said, I accepted Christ under Ravi Zacharias' ministry. Am I really saved? Mm. And then I had hostile phone calls from people who said, you know, I, I'm not a Christian anymore because Ravi fell. Um Look, in a perfect world, everybody would be nice and behave, and all Christians would be Christ-like. But I've asked a lot of young people, if Ravi had been an exemplary Christian, would Jesus be more risen? (laughs) That's great. Uh, That's great. If if Ravi were an absolute scoundrel, which appears to have been the case— would Jesus be less risen? Yes. And and we've got to help people understand 
the veracity of the Christian message is in no way contingent on the performance of the Christian. Well, here's another point, Alex, along those lines, which I think is important for us to remember. I I have been around in evangelicalism long enough to have watched a lot of wolves come and go. I mean, Mike (laughs) Warnke lied about being a Satanist and made a big career off it. And I used to give money to Mike Warnke. I don't blame that on Jesus. I blame it on Mike Warnke. Uh, My my own dealings with Mark Driscoll. He he was a con man and a plagiarist. And that Jesus warned us about these people far from having backed this kind of behavior. Jesus called it out, and Jesus told us that men like this will enter the church. So how well do you know your Bible if you're looking at some of these people and going, that's Christianity's fault? What what we need to do, it would seem, as Christians is to say, no, when we see a wolf, we call him out and we deal with it. And and to me, it drives me back to the to the word of God to say, Jesus, Lord, what did you want us to do as your disciples when we encounter situations like this? And I think some of the accountability that has been brought to bear on people like, you know, the legacy, at least of Ravi Zacharias, the truth coming out on that and all the other scandals we've seen. That's house cleaning, in my opinion. And maybe you see it the same way. Not sure. But that doesn't discredit Jesus. Like you said, he's still risen and he's still Lord. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I would plead with people to trust Christ who will never fail you. Amen. Don't trust a Christian who may fail you. And, hey, Janet, I've got my heroes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, You know, the people that invested in me, um, some of whom are well-known, some of whom will never be known this side of heaven. I've got my heroes, James Dobson. My whole life changed the day James Dobson hired me. And suddenly I went from doing youth hot dog suppers to literally being on the BBC in England the Mm -hmm. first month I worked for Focus on the Family. And while I appreciate the the people that have invested in me, uh, you you and your husband included, you all have invested in me. You've given me a microphone at times, and uh, we have our heroes. We have the, the people for whom we are deeply grateful. But at the same time, my allegiance, my fidelity, all of my loyalty and belief is in the person of Jesus. And listen, if every Christian were exemplary, that would not make the gospel more true. And if if the church did hurt people, as some allege, which I, I seriously question the extent of all these claims, I know there have been abuses. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, Second mm-hmm. Timothy 3, 7 says, you know, um, that, that people are ever learning and never coming to the truth. But, you know, James 3 says, uh, don't be many teachers, right. because the teachers will be judged more stringently. Right. But even if the church did hurt people, and I question the degree that people say, uh, that wouldn't make the gospel less true. Well, um, that's right. And and I mean, when you see, for example, I you know have, have said for years that I think some of the sexual abuse in the church that's happened is just horrific. And my heart goes out to these victims and they really were wronged in some cases. But again, that goes back to individuals who sinned, individuals who were not held accountable and they should be held accountable. But It's kind of like the American Civil War in some sense. When you have a great moral evil like slavery, the backstory is we fought a war to end it. And it seems to me that that when you're in a Christian church and the Christian church will deal with it and deal with the sin that's there, 
that's a positive thing. And I wish we had more time to discuss it, Alex. It's just so important that the Bible is properly preached and taught because it is the Holy Word of God. And Alex McFarland really knows how to hold up the Word of God for sinners who are saved by grace. It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry that Alex has. AlexMcFarland.com. You can check out more about his books and all he does on the stage, conferences, and at churches across the country. Grateful for you, Alex. It was so good to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Thank you, Janet. God bless you, too. Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We hope you'll do so again. Until next time, God bless. God bless.